0: Thank you for coming to the podcast. Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com is brought to you by Human Weapon Clothing. Look, a lot of MMA clothing companies include dragons and skulls and maybe even a sword. But if you want to represent the sport you love without mimicking Brock Lesnar's chest tattoo on your own chest, check out Human Weapon Clothing. They have high-quality product with a simple and clean graphic. So head on over to humanweapon.com and use promo code FLOW, that's F-L-O, for 15% off your first order. Human Weapon Clothing brings you this episode of Flow Combat's Top Turtle MMA, and it starts right now. (laughs) Daniel Gumby, reeling really here with SlowCombat.com's Top Turtle MMA, and I'm speaking with Eric Anders, who fights Marcus Perez at Fight Night Fresno on December 9th. Uh, Eric, let's talk a little bit about uh, your, your UFC debut. So you took the fight on about nine days' notice against Rafael Natal, who's a, a hell of a competitor. Uh, you know, anytime the UFC gives you a chance to, to sort of make that walk for the first time, you got to take it. But what was that week and a half like leading up to the fight?
1: Um, you know, I always train. Uh, I never leave the gym. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm like a gym rat. I live in the gym, so I don't. I don't do training camp. So um, I had to take a few few days off uh, because after that Brennan Allen fight, uh, you know, my hand was a little jacked up a little bit. So uh, I had to take a few weeks off. Uh, but then as soon as I was good to go, even before I was 100%, you know, I was just training and uh, doing what I could do with my hand. And uh, you know we got the call, and uh, you know signed the dotted line. Came in there, you know, a little over a week later, and uh, you know did the dance.
0: Yeah, it was an impressive dance too. A, a finish a half on the tall, who's notoriously a hard person to finish. Uh, it, you know, he was previously ranked in in the middleweight rankings a while ago. Is it a little upsetting that your second fight comes against a guy making his debut? Were you looking to like build more, or is it just all about you know getting to the end result?
1: Now, you know, of course, we're always looking for, uh, you know, uh, somebody ranked above me and, you know, somebody with a name and, you know, probably, you know, someone's going to put me on the map a little bit more. But, you know, at the same time, you know, uh, I wanted to fight a few times before the end of the year. And, you know, this was just the first name that came up.
0: Mm-hmm. So, it- it's one of those things where you can stay busy. And uh, speaking of staying busy, so, you know, we, we did a little meddling to check out your, your career uh, sort of before you made it to the UFC. You know, according to our record, you fought 22 times amateurly uh, before you eventually turned pro. And, and as a as a pro, you're 9-0. But why so many fights uh, on the amateur level before you turned pro?
1: Yeah, just because I, I didn't have any experience in anything uh, when I first started this. So, you know, I feel like experience was key. Um, you know, getting a lot of cage time, a lot of training time, and whatnot. So, I definitely want to take my time as an amateur because I knew once I turned pro, uh, there was no turning back. So, any holes in my game, or you know, anything that I needed to fix or improve on, I could I did it as an amateur. And that and that
0: that aspect you said about not having any experience, you mean you know, like a boxing level or a wrestling level? Is that that's sort of what you're alluding to?
1: Yeah, I had, I had zero MMA martial art you know, striking, wrestling, uh, I have JV level experience wrestling, uh, you know, when I was younger. So, you know, that, that's all the experience I had. So, you know, I had to build a base, build a foundation, uh, and then branch out off of that.
0: Yeah. And, and obviously that's because of, you know, your, your football career. So for those of you who don't know out there, uh, Eric played for the university of Alabama in some of the biggest games in college football history, national championships, uh, you know, how does the pressure in the cage compare to that being on the field in such a big game?
1: Yeah, well, I enjoy the pressure. I like the pressure a lot. You know, I think there's a lot more pressure in mixed martial arts than there is in football. Uh, just because, you know, in a football game, there's, you know, 21 other people on the field other than yourself. You know, in MMA, you know, it's all those people looking at just you and the, and the guy you're fighting. Uh, through the holes in the cage.
0: Yeah, and and obviously, so it, it's that singularity focus. Even if you've got a team behind you, it's
1: mm-hmm. they're not
0: the ones in the cage, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, uh, MMA it truly is a team sport because you need you know training partners and coaches and whatnot. Uh, you can't get better just practicing on a dummy or hitting a bag. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when it comes time to for the competition itself, you know it is you know it's just you in there and the voice of your coach.
0: Yeah, and, and I'm glad you, you mentioned teammates, too, a little bit there, too, because, you know, obviously you've had uh, some amazing teammates in, in both, you know, training MMA and in football. Uh, you were a teammate of Julio Jones, Dante Hightower, Mark Ingram, for just some names to throw out there. Is, is there any part of you that sees them on Sunday and wishes you were there instead of here, or uh, are you are you happy you made the switch?
1: Uh, no, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm cool the way things worked out. You know, I uh I I thoroughly enjoy MMA. I think towards the end uh of the, of the football thing, I, I you know, I really wasn't in love and uh with it like I was when I was, you know, a few years before that. Uh, maybe I just got a little burnt out on it, but you know, I thoroughly enjoy and love uh mixed martial arts. Awesome.
0: And and kind of, you know, I I hate to keep, you know, asking that the football questions, but that kind of is your background, and uh, while we got a football expert here, we might as well ask him a football question or two. So uh, I was going to ask you, of the people you watch, if, if you do still watch pro football, uh, who would be the one that you think would make the most successful MMA switch?
1: Ooh, man, that is a, a, a tough question, especially considering the the caliber of athlete um, that you know that I played with. You know, I think all those guys can make a transition seamlessly into many other sports. Um, I think Mark Barron would would be a, an extremely good um, MMA fighter. Dante Hightower, uh, especially in the heavyweight division. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like that division is you know as thin as it is. Um, he'll probably have the most success just because of the division itself. Um, well, Julio Jones would make a fantastic fighter. Um, all those guys, man, you know, they're built for explosiveness, short area movements. Uh, you know, they have work ethic. Work ethic. Um, now, yeah, it would be, be tough to just try and name, you yeah. know, just a few people.
0: Yeah, well, I, I, I like just the couple names you gave us. I appreciate that. So uh, let's get talk, back to talking about your fight. Uh, obviously, Marcus Perez, kind of similar to you, making a, a replacement fight while being the current LFA champion, which is, you know, one of the bigger organizations out there. Uh, what sort of challenges do you see him bringing uh, to the cage as you prepare for him?
1: Uh, you know, I think he's really slick. He makes really slick transitions. Um, catches people in uh, uh, awkward uh, uh positions and whatnot. Um, you know, he just finished uh, Ian Heinich in the uh, with the head and arm choke from the bottom. So that's something you really don't see too often. So, you know, he's uh, he's slick. You know, his stand up is um. You know he you know he's fluid you know he, he's a, he's moves really smooth so you know I'm, I'm excited about the matchup and I'm looking forward to it
0: yeah and we're really looking forward to it too so before we let you go Eric uh, we like to sometimes ask our guys if we can get a prediction for fight night so what happens when you get in the cage with Marcus Perez in Fresno on December 9th
1: I believe I'll leave the how uh, leave the leave the fight with a, with a finish. Um, probably a knockout or a TKO. You know, he throws wide shots. I like to go straight down the pipe. So uh, I see myself beating him with the uh, with the punch straight down the middle.
0: All right, you heard it there first. Eric Anders fights Marcus Perez at Fight Night Fresno on December 9th, and he is calling the knockout with the punch right down the middle. Eric, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it.
1: I right, appreciate it, brother. <laughs>
0: This, once again, is Dave and Dan with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and that was Eric Anders. Uh, Dave, what would you think of Eric Anders?
2: You know, it's always exciting when a superstar athlete, college football athlete, comes over into MMA. Uh, you know, I always felt like the world was robbed of a younger Herschel Walker starting his MMA career sooner, uh, but I like it when freak athletes come to MMA. I think that's obviously... The future of the sport is better and better athletes coming in, and uh, he's one of those guys, so I think it's exciting.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of cool that you mentioned, too, uh, Herschel Walker, because he's kind of got that build, that like stocky football player guy build uh, where where he hits like a freaking truck, and he's just like a little ball of muscle, so uh, it's going to be super exciting to see him fight uh, in a couple of days.
2: Absolutely. So, you know, I think we have to start this show off, Gumby. We released a bonus episode earlier in the week. You got to have a conversation with Francis Naganu, and it really blew up on the Internet, as the kids say, because Naganu said that his dream opponent is Brock Lesnar. And now let's be real about something. Every up-and-coming heavyweight is going to say their dream opponent is Brock Lesnar because he's the biggest name in the heavyweight division ever. He's the money man for the heavyweight division. But that all being said, there's something that captures the imagination about Naganu versus Brock Lesnar, because they're both such physical freaks. And people really took to that idea. Yeah, well,
0: and I, I think that that's sort of why Naganu likes it, too. You know, like, it's funny, you mentioned that, you know, every up-and-coming heavyweight would say their dream fight is Lesnar because it's the money fight, right? And it's the big, exciting fight, and he's kind of like that freak that everybody always liked. But Nagano, when he said why he wanted it, he said, we're two big guys, and it seems like fun. Uh, which is just, <laughs> it's crazy, right? Like, and he giggled about it, too. I shouldn't call it a giggle. It's a fucking hearty-ass chuckle. Uh, but he laughed about it uh, and said, you know, like, he, he, his idea of fun is too humongous fucking freak athletes throwing down with each other it didn't even seem like it was about money
2: yeah no It just just for the love of the sport and obviously it's one of those things where if naganu can get one sprawl uh brock lesnar's head is going to get sent flying into the crowd from an uppercut uh but that being said you want to see brock try to take him down and manhandle him spoiler alert i don't think he would but you could take my money now. It's a fight I want to see.
0: Oh, it, it would sell an absolutely ridiculous amount of pay per views, especially if Naganu comes out and beats Stepe Miochik. And then, yeah, which, which 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 we can talk about in a is, second too. But if he came out and beat Stepe, became like this crazy threat champion, and then you put him up against Brock on top of that, it it would it would sell one point five. I I think so many people would buy that. The narrative is beautiful.
2: Uh, it's a beautiful narrative. One of the things, so let's say it right now, it has been confirmed that Steve Miocic will defend his UFC heavyweight title in Boston on January 20th against Francis Naganu. By the way, Francis Naganu has forever changed the perception of the name Francis. <laughs> it is now associated only with badasses. And... That's such an exciting fight because Miocic is going for the record of three heavyweight title defenses, which has never been done. Two is the record. A few people have done it. Kane, Stipe now. Um, and, you know, it just that Francis Naganu is the best and most exciting heavyweight prospect since the meteoric rise of Brock Lesnar. So this was the fight to make. I'm so happy they made it. And I have to tell you, I was looking up the stats in Francis Naganu's Five KO victories in the UFC. He has thrown 83 landed strikes, averaging out to 16 and a half strikes per KO. That is historic, legendary numbers to get a KO to only have to throw 16 strikes.
0: That's efficient as shit right there. (laughs) And uh, Yeah, no, I'm loving this fight as a headliner uh, in itself. I mean, I think it sells really well. Um, and, and I like that you said that it was going for the record, too, because I think we talked about it, shit, it was probably like six months ago, we talked about the fact that his record-breaking fight should be against somebody who we think makes him deserve the record, right? And we mm-hmm. talked about it, it has to be Cain Velasquez, because that's the only one. If he breaks the record beating Francis Ngannou, we're all on board now, because Francis oh, yeah. Ngannou proved that he's a
2: bad motherfucker. Absolutely. Uh, The other big news item of the week we should discuss, Gumby, is that GSP, GSP, is now hinting at the fact that he will not defend the middleweight title just because middleweight is not his uh, preferred weight class, it's not where he's his best at. This is like the least shocking news since, I don't know, the last time John Jones got in legal trouble. (laughs) This is what everyone predicted, now GSP all but confirming it, uh, what... What is your take on the fact that GSP might not defend this middleweight crown?
0: You know, it finally it finally dawned on me that it probably wasn't going to happen when he started talking about all of the stomach issues he felt like he had because he tried to, like, force-feed himself to get himself big enough to fight middleweight. And, you know, in all honesty, he looked pr- plenty big against Michael Bisping. But then go back and look at how Michael Bisping looks against some of the top middleweights. Michael Bisping is a lot fucking smaller than Luke Rockhold. And then GSP was smaller than Bisping. So, like, it makes sense, man. Like, you know, from from a strategy standpoint on that place, like, I don't blame GSP. And on top of that, then I was talking to a buddy the other day about, like, what does GSP get out of defending the middleweight belt here? What 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 would happen Uh, if he went and defended it against Luke Rockhold, or he went and defended it against Robert Whittaker? Even if he won, does it add anything to his legacy?
2: Uh, yeah, I would think so. You think so? Defended the middleweight belt.
0: Because to me, no matter what, now his legacy is he's the greatest welterweight to ever live. Period. Nobody's gonna argue that. And he's also good enough to go take another title from some other champion. And to me, it'll never be all that much more than that unless he went on, like, a historic middleweight run, right? Like, what's the difference between having zero middleweight defenses and one middleweight defense? Or what's the difference between having zero middleweight defenses and losing your first middleweight defense? Like, he doesn't have a whole lot to gain. Now, what does he have to gain by going back down to 170? He's got a potential fight with Tyrone Woodley, and maybe that's not all that exciting. And you're getting closer to Conor McGregor, though.
2: That's, that's that, the prize here. Yeah, to me, if he's got two in him, you know, if he if this comeback run lasts three total, Bisping being the first, and I see what you're saying there with not really much to gain. Let's just make it about the fun fights. Conor is exactly the fight I would do. Conor versus GSP at 170 or maybe a catch weight of something like 165. 165. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I'm I'm right there with you. Yeah, and and, uh, and to me,
0: that's the only thing that gets GSP excited anymore. Cause he's got two titles. He's never been beat for either of them. Doesn't really need to defend them to vouch that they're f- for real. And it, at, at this point in time, he needs like a fun fight to make a whole bunch of money because he doesn't have a lot left. And on top of that, what gets Connor back fighting? Nothing short uh, of um- GSP.
2: Yeah. Nothing by the way, he w- just one quick fact check on you. He was beaten for that welterweight title by little man Matt Serra. Uh, let's give Matt Serra his props.
0: Yeah. Okay. Make make sure we give Matt Serra uh, in his his current state uh, his props. But let's be real for a while. That was uh, he. I, I mean, he never lost the last one he had.
2: I I know. I know. Uh, <laughs> I was being a stickler. All right. So we have UFC Fresno this Saturday. Is anyone going to sponsor our little breakdown of it?
0: Of course, as always, our fight breakdown is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguard. Sisu makes the lightest, most breathable mouthguard on the market, so head on over to sisuguard.com and get the right mouthguard for you.
2: Sisu, baby. Uh, uh, we have Cub Swanson taking on Brian Ortega in Cub Swanson's last fight on his contract. Brian Ortega, Mr. Last-Minute Win. <laughs> All his wins are always within the last minute or two of the fight. He's the comeback kid. Who you got?
0: I- I'm going with Cub Swanson. Uh, I love Ortega. The story's interesting that he keeps winning in the third round with, like, a minute left. But, look, when you're looking at his resume, this dude got beat for for 14 minutes by, Clay Guida. Clay Guida beat this man for 14 straight minutes before he landed a Hail Mary knee with about 40 seconds to go. And to me, you're not going to land the Hail Mary on Cub Swanson. He's too tactical. He's too sound. He's going to keep himself too safe uh, for Brian Ortega here.
2: Yeah, I I agree completely. Uh, You know, uh, kind of a hangover effect card in a lot of ways coming off of uh, last week with Jose Aldo and Max Holloway and Naganu's coming out party. Give us another fighter or fight you're looking at on this card that people should go out of their way to see.
0: Well, I 100% think the best fight on the card is Marlon Marais versus Aljamain Sterling. Marlon Marais just knows how to stay busy. The dude got signed, I think, six months ago, and this is his third fight already, and he's already up to fighting Aljamain Sterling, so you got to love that. I also really love Jason Knight. He's fighting Mowgli, Gabriel Benitez uh, in the co-main event. Jason Knight, you know, a top 15er at featherweight. um, Coming off that loss against Ricardo Lamas, but no shame in losing to Ricardo Lamas. Uh, And, of course, you're going to want to watch Eric Anders, who's fighting Marcus Perez on the main card at middleweight
2: on Fox Sports 1. Boom. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. I am David Tremonti. This was Top Turtle MMA podcast on flowcombat.com. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow the show on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. Tell a friend, tell a buddy, subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it be SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, iTunes, we be there. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to Flow Combat. We'll catch you next week.